0: The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 106.7.
1: You're on the line here on ESPN on 106.7 Auburn Apolica like Sports Leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Thursday, July 6th, 2023. This is on the line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing. Backup Jacob Goins, he is Carter Bird, and we're joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio for our number one for our Baseball Power Hour, talking all things Atlanta Braves, Major League Baseball. We've got the draft to talk about. We have the all-star break coming up to talk about so much going on in the world of baseball we'll relate it to Auburn when it comes to the draft of course uh, and so great things to talk about here in our number one again Lindsey Crosby joining us in studio of locked on MLB prospects Auburn daily and Uh, you're familiar with that podcast we use the audio here and there on this show uh, gentlemen it's it's good to have you both in the studio happy Thursday.
2: Yeah, happy Thursday, man. It's it's good to be here. We're getting good weather finally, and no uh, rain. It's good to have Lindsay in studio as always.
3: Yeah, this is um, I my voice is on the edge of being gone. So like, I can't talk at all on Saturday. So I'm ready for the draft on Sunday. But (laughs) this is this is like the biggest time of the year where all of my things combine because Mm -hmm. it's. College baseball, and obviously a big part of the draft pool, especially this year. We'll get into that, but a big part of the draft pool is college hitters. And then it's minor league baseball with MLB prospects. And then it's the Atlanta Braves. And this is the time of year when all of these things intersect. The Venn diagram of those three things is Lindsey Crosby. And so it's really exciting. Uh, If only I was running Braves today last year when Blake Burkhalter got drafted by the Atlanta Braves, it would have literally been perfect.
1: Yeah, it would have been. Well, you guys are doing a great job with Braves today. Go check it out there. Go check out his work at Auburn Daily and Locked on MLB Prospects. Uh, Speaking of the Braves, that's where we will start today. Uh, We're going to talk about the Braves here in just a few minutes. Then we will talk about the MLB draft and All-Star Weekend. We're going to kind of throw all of that together and talk about that with Lindsey Crosby, who is in-studio for all of our number one then in hour number two at three o'clock uh, we'll talk about the surprising news of cam coleman choosing texas a&m uh, over the over the fourth of july break so we'll talk about that plus we're giving our quarterback rankings going into 2023 for the southeastern conference uh, excited to talk about that that'll be an hour number two but here in the first hour any comments questions concerns for lindsey crosby us anything else going on in the world of baseball phone lines are open give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. And let's jump into this gentlemen. the Braves. Lindsey, I start this every, every time you're with us. It's the same way. Tell me why the Braves are still the best team
3: in all of Major League Baseball. Well, they've homered in 22 straight games, 23 straight games. They did not lose a series in the month of June. They are I believe tied for the most home runs before the all-star break in baseball history, Uh, 30 games above 500. That kind of, a lot of that stuff is kind of the reason they're one of four teams to ever hit 160 home runs in the first half of the season. And they have the lowest strikeout rate of any team that did that. And I think that's the big difference this year from previous years is they're so, they're so good at hitting home runs. They've always been a home run hitting team the last couple of years, but When they're not hitting home runs, they're putting the ball in play. Mm -hmm. If you look at that that big inning against Cleveland, because they get big innings all the time, uh, they didn't hit a home run. They scored like four or five runs, no home run. It was consecutive singles, getting balls into the gaps, to the corners, uh, moving runners over. Moving Ozzie Albies to the two-hole has given Atlanta two faster guys who can take extra bases on a base hit, who are threats to steal, and that's kind of supercharged this offense. Uh, Now, someone's going to start slumping. That always happens. But as of right now, when everybody's hitting... I mean, you you can't touch this Atlanta Braves offense. You just, you cannot keep up with them. Nobody in baseball can do it yet.
1: Well, you mentioned already how they hit home runs just about more than anybody in baseball, but yet they don't strike out a whole lot either. And that's something you see a lot of times is whether it be an individual player or even a team that likes to swing for the fences. I look at the New York Yankees, a team that does that pretty much worse than anybody. They mm-hmm. swing for home runs, but if they don't get the home run, they pretty much strike out, and that's where you see the Yankees get hot a lot of times because Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, they hit those long bombs, but then when they go ice cold, it's because they're striking out a bunch. The Braves are not doing that, and I think that's why you see them win game after game after
3: game. And it's a big credit to to Kevin Seitzer, the hitting coach. When you watch Atlanta, it really feels like the players understand and that there's been a very clear... I'm going to say they've been empowered. Like the players have been empowered like, hey, early in the count, early in the at bat, go for it. You hit hit the home run. But when you get into that two strike situation, when you get later in the at bat, that is no longer your at bat. That is the team's at bat. Mm-hmm. And so many times when you see professional players, you know, players of all, you know, all different levels, but you even see it in the pros you have guys who they're they're still thinking that home run when there's two strikes and i've this is not been proven this is conjecture on my part i think a big part of that is the fact that everybody on atlanta's team is signed long term so they're not worried about i have to have this level of production so I, for my next free agent contract or because i'm going to arbitration next year everybody is signed for the next 4 years or 6 years or 7 years or whatever it might be and so their goal, the only thing that has to, they have to worry about, is winning games. They don't have to worry about, "I have to hit 30 home runs this year so I get a raise in arbitration." And I think that's a big part that we haven't really you can't quantify that, but it just it makes sense based on ta- having talked to players in the past about how they approach those situations. Knowing that this team is going
2: to be together for all for several years. Does that help with team chemistry, and how does that play out in a lineup and in the field? How does that play out, and is that why we see this Braves team as the number one team in ESPN's power rankings week in and week out right now?
3: I think it's really easy for a manager like Brian Snitker, who has the trust of the players, to go in and move things around. Move guys and say, hey, you know, Matt, we love you. You are a great part of this team. He struck out a lot in the in the two hole behind Ronald Acuna because they had to one you they did not want to let Ronald Acuna score but they had to throw a lot of fastballs because Ronald's going to steal, and he was struggling with those. They moved him to the five hole, and it was hey, either way you're still getting paid for the next six years and a hundred and whatever million dollars, you know. So we we think this will be better for the lineup if we put you at four and we put Ozzy at two. Like mm-hmm. it it kind of it, if you think about it the player like why would the player complain they're getting paid either way right and, yeah. and that's a really that's
1: a really intriguing concept that you brought up because that's a conversation that doesn't get had about sports whether it be sports fans or talking heads like ourselves or journalists journalists or whatever like that's not a conversation that's had very often when it comes to a player or even a coach's performance and their stress levels about job security. I mean that is a massive yeah. factor in any job and anything in the world that you do. I mean any of our listeners or us sitting here, I mean you it's just human nature You perform better when you have security, when you're Mm -hmm. not stressed about getting fired tomorrow. Like You just perform better when you have that, and especially in baseball where it is such a mental game, that's a huge factor for the Braves, the fact that nobody on this team should really be stressing
3: about job security. Yeah, like every single player... Uh, if the Braves were so inclined, because I think I think one of them has an option, I think Eddie Rosario has an option. If the Braves were inclined, every single player on this roster would be here next year. Like everybody has that set up in their contract, even the the uh, the the bit and parcel guys like uh, Kevin Pillar. He has a second op, a second year option on his contract, and so you don't have to worry about it. You know that you have a role on this team. You know that. The organization, the coaching staff values you. The chemistry is really good in the clubhouse, another thing that we don't talk about a ton. Uh, And job security, everybody's got it. They're able to play loose, they're able to play free. And I think that we've seen more awareness, I feel like, this year about the mental health side of sports but it's always been this person is struggling, and we're giving them. The, they're stepping away. We're giving them the space to get better. We don't talk about the flip side of that, where these guys are doing well, and part of the reason, part of the credit, is because they have good chemistry, they have job security, and all that. And I do think that's that has something to do with this Atlanta Braves team. You mentioned earlier the Braves did not lose a series in the month of
1: June. On the flip side, the New York Mets had a historically bad month of June, and the Braves just got better, and it seems like the Mets just got worse. What's going on in the division right now for the Braves, who seems like their lead just continues to grow day by day?
3: Well, It's something where if you look at at, uh, the two teams, the divergence in these two teams, can be traced back, and this is really funny to me, can be traced back to one exact moment, and it's throw it again. Like, everything yep. between the yep. Braves and the Mets can be traced back to that series in Atlanta where the Mets get out to an early lead, Pete Alonzo hollers at the, at Bryce Elder, I think, I think it was Bryce Elder, and then the Mets get rocked. And from that point on, and to me... The Mets are almost in the flip side of what Atlanta's talking about. So many of those Mets guys, with the exception of a couple who who signed long-term deals recently, like Nimmo, for the most part, so many of those guys are on shorter-term deals. So many of those guys are playing for a manager who's only in his second year, and the pressure, not only from the market, but from ownership from the team, is there. Steve Cohen's been public on Twitter that he expects this team to be contending for a championship. And so... it's the flip side of what's been going on with Atlanta. Like Atlanta knows that they're good and they're just out playing a game. New York, they are legitimately like, it feels like they're pressing every time they go out there. The pitchers are trying to be perfect every time they go out there. The hitters are trying to hit a home run every time they go out there because the individual players are worried about their job security because there's a prospect behind them. Uh, the, The pitchers are worried about getting pulled from the game because they have to win this game. And the manager's trying to push every lever he can to spur on performance because the owner's lording over this whole thing. They know he's got tons of money. They know he's not afraid to spend it. He's not afraid to pay to make them go away. And I, I just think it's funny to see that divergence. It all traces back to that one comment, and it's just mentally mm-hmm. I don't think that Mets team is there. And And I don't think they're going to be this year. They have plenty of talent, but it's just the environment's not working out for them. And when
2: you look at that in comparison to this Braves team, because, I mean, they were on the other side of that moment, and you see how dangerous this lineup is, how much of a mental advantage is it to know that any given day, it doesn't matter who's on the mound, this lineup is good enough to go out and win, whereas I don't feel like that's necessarily true for every team in Major League Baseball. There may be certain guys that go out there on the mound, and you have to get an anomaly performance from that type of guy or from from your offense, the Braves, any given night, are capable of putting up, what, double-digit runs because of just how good they are and how many home runs they hit. And it seems like recently in this run where they've been dominant, so many clutch innings down the stretch to come back and win games. When you have that, how much does that just free
3: you up to go play the game and have fun? The pitchers have talked about it. The pitchers have gone on the record and said, like, I don't have to be perfect. I just have to go out there and eat some innings because I know the offense will pick me up. And I want to say they're averaging just over five runs a game. Like if if I'm a pitcher, if I'm like, OK, I've got a three run cushion in the first inning when it's actually still still zero zero, then I already don't have as much stress as a typical pitcher would. And then when Atlanta does go out there and have those big innings, because so many of Atlanta's big innings are in the first inning, you then have a lead where mentally the load is just so much different than if you come in and it's, or if you're in the fourth inning and you're up one, nothing and you've got traffic on the base paths every inning. And it's like a lot of high stress innings. And we don't have a really good measure in baseball of, the effects of high stress innings versus low stress innings. It's all anecdotal. It's all things like that. But I just have this feeling that getting a lot of low, having a lot of low stress innings throughout the summer is going to is, is going to allow these pitchers to be healthier and uh, I guess better rested mentally, physically when you get to the postseason versus a team that's had to play a lot of close matchups and battle and you've had high stress innings because. Those Indians are stressful on your arm, but they're also stressful mentally. Right. And and the Braves just have not really had that. These pitchers have been able to just... I'm not going to say cruise control, but they've been able to just go out there and focus on executing their pitches. They don't have to worry about, well, I can't let anybody else score because I've given up one run and we can't overcome that deficit. Like it just it's not there.
1: It's a it's a huge strength for the Braves. And I I just did the math. They're averaging five point six runs per game and they're allowing just under four runs per game at three point nine. So, I mean, they're they're every time they go on the field, they're averaging a
3: a two run win. I mean, that's what they're doing every time they play. Yeah, and and so, like that. Just you know, going out there in essence, if you're a starter, like you have a two run cushion. If even if you go down two nothing, it's the same as a scoreless game most of the time because of what this offense mm-hmm. can do. There was not a time, I think, in the month of June, really, where this team got a deficit, and I did not think that they could come back and win. Like it, and there's been times in the past with sports teams, the Braves included, definitely with the Atlanta Falcons, where like. If, if they got down, I'm like, oh, well, this, this one's probably over. Like, they, they could do it, yeah, but this one's probably over. There was not a single moment in the month of June where I was like, yeah, there's no way the Braves can come back from this deficit. Like, it's just, as long as there's outs on the board, you feel like they can do it. And yeah. there's something to be said for the mental load that that takes off of, whether it's your relievers, takes off whether I mean, your fans, your coaching staff, and all of that. And it feels like you just have so much more, more space to let guys be themselves when you're in that kind of situation. The Braves lost
1: four games in June. Only one of them was by more than one run, the 6-2 loss in the final game against Washington. Everything else was a one-run loss for the Braves in the month of June. Their offense keeps them in games every single night that they play. We'll take our first break here at hour number one, talking baseball with Lindsey Crosby. Go check him out on BravesToday.com, Auburn Daily, and Locked On MLB Prospects. When we come back, we'll talk about the All-Star break coming up in which Atlanta Braves will be represented in Seattle.
0: On the line on ESPN 1067, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. All
1: right, back inside the studio here at ESPN 1067 for the Thursday edition of On the Line Talking Baseball with Lindsey Crosby. Uh, Lindsey, we appreciate you as always joining us, and we want to uh, always give you the opportunity to plug everything you've got going on. Uh, yeah You've got uh, the three that I know of, and maybe you've added one since the last time you were in here, but plug I, uh, everything you got,
3: man. Fun fact I actually did, did add one since the last time I've, <laughs> I've, I've been in here. So, Auburn Baseball Writing, AuburnDaily.com, Braves Writing, BravesToday.com, Locked and MLB Prospects is the minor league podcast. Go on YouTube. Hit the notification bell. We are going live on Sunday night for the entire first round, the first 39 picks. I will be live on YouTube uh, with guests going over those picks, and then uh, starting tomorrow—Thursday, is yeah—starting mm-hmm. tomorrow, uh, I am. I'll be doing uh, on the Bleacher Report app listener question uh, Q and As. We have one on the draft. Tomorrow we have one on Tuesday about the farm system rankings after the draft is mostly done and they've added talent. So did add something since okay. the last time I've been on here. We're uh, doing some stuff for Bleacher Report on their MLB side. Awesome, man. Well, that's gonna be really,
1: really cool. So we'll just keep look, keep killing the game and, and look when. I tell you this every time whenever you make it big just remember who we are <laughs> and course. if you can if you can squeeze in an hour for us in a year then we'll be greatly appreciative but we'll find a way to make the Tuesday power hour happen either way that's right that's right well uh, as the we were just talking about the Braves and as they get ready for the series against Tampa Bay this will be the final series before the all-star break which will be uh, all the events going on early next week here on ESPN 1067 you can tune into the home run Derby and the all-star game uh, so be sure uh, if you're looking to listen to that you can tune in right here on the alberto Balica like a sports leader but looking ahead to the all-star break the all-star game which atlanta braves are going to be represented who can braves fans be excited to either watch or listen to when the all-star break happens
3: there is going to be a moment in the all-star game when it looks like an atlanta braves game out there so the, the Atlanta Braves have three starters in the All Star Game. They have Ronald Acuna Jr. The, they have catcher Sean Murphy. They have shortstop Orlando Arcia. Which, if you had asked me in spring training who was going to be uh, the All Star shortstop for the Atlanta Braves, I would not have guessed Orlando Arcia. But credit to him. Uh, also,
2: who would have who would have been your third choice for, w- for the Braves? I Howie's? would have assumed
3: that there was Howie's not a or Olson. I would have assumed it would have been. Probably Olbey's. I would not have thought that it, that it would have been a shortstop for the Braves in general.
2: Or would you have thought maybe it's Strider starting the All Star game? I
3: thought I thought about that. It looks like based on um, he's pitching the date like the next to last game before the mm-hmm. break. Yeah. I don't think he'll be available to pitch for the All Star game. I would have assumed Strider or Freed or um, or Ozzy probably, but uh, Strider is in the All Star game. So is Bryce Elder. So two Braves pitchers, including one we didn't expect. And then the entire rest of the Braves infield, Matt Olsen is an Um, all-star, Ozzy Albies is an all-star, Austin Riley is an (laughs) all-star, so five infielders, if you you count catchers as infielders, which you may have feelings about that, Carter, Uh, but all five infielders are in the all-star game, uh, as well as Ronald Lacuna Jr. in the two pitchers, so credit to Ron Washington. Yeah. He should be an honorary All Star this year because those are his infielders. And this is the first time in franchise history that they've had either eight All Stars or had the entire starting infield in the All-Star game.
1: It's really, really impressive. And it just shows, well, you see the videos all the time of Ron Washington working with the infielders, doing different drills, and helping helping guys that, when they struggle, doing just all the different techniques. I mean, he's just one of the best in the game. And it shows with the Braves having their entire infield, like you just mentioned, yeah. represented in Seattle for the All-Star game.
3: And what I love is you're also going to see uh, Jorge Soler, He is there from the Miami Marlins. You are going to see Dansby Swanson. You are going to see Freddie Freeman. It's going to be a really entertaining all-star game for Braves fans because there is the capacity to have almost every position on the field full of Atlanta Braves at the same time.
1: I'm interested in your take on this, Lindsay. The the MLB all-star festivities, whether it be the game itself or the home run derby, in the year 2023, how do you feel about all of those events? Are, do you enjoy what, like, truly? Do you enjoy watching them and covering them when it comes to the All Star Break? Because it seems like around professional sports, All Star games and All Star weekends have sort of gotten less entertaining, and it seems like they're not as. They don't mean as much anymore, I think, as what they used to, especially in Major League Baseball when they changed it from the winner being the host of the World Series, right? That was a big change they did. But interested on your thoughts on just the all-star festivities when it comes to Major League Baseball.
3: So the I have a few gripes with All-Star Weekend, and some of that is the prospect side of me, how they cram prospect stuff in. For instance, the Futures game, which is the minor league all-star game, is on Saturday. Uh, nobody probably even knew that. There are still MLB games being played, but there is a seven-inning game with the All-Stars from the minor leagues on Saturday. It's something that needs more time than it's getting. Uh, you also have the draft is on, Monday, is on Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday during the day. So you're cramming all of these things into the schedule and you can't give... Like the draft doesn't get the proper time it should get because it's crammed at the same time as everything else on the weekend. Uh, I do... As I get older, I notice I don't care so much about the game itself. I couldn't tell you who won the All-Star Game last year, but I do enjoy specific moments. Watching Alec Manoa last year mic'd up, talking to John Smoltz during his inning where he gets three strikeouts, that was incredibly entertaining. I don't remember who won the game, but I remember that moment and thinking how cool that was that they did that. So... I'm out on the game itself being great. I'm glad it doesn't have any meaning anymore. Last thing I'd want to do is play for a World Series and not have home foot advantage, and I have no control over that. Uh, But I do enjoy the moments that you get, like the WBC, Otani versus Trout. That's Mm -hmm. the story of the WBC. It was a great moment. I like when MLB can make those moments. I like that they bent the rules for Otani so you could see him both pitch and hit. Uh, Now, obviously, the rule is different. In all of baseball but I like the moments you get in the all-star game and the home run derby like mm-hmm. Pete Alonso being a machine I love that
1: <laughs> I liked when they added the the guys being able to be mic'd up I think that yeah took, that puts the personal side into it you saw like the NBA change the format of it Kind of hard to do that when it comes to baseball, but I like you that they play added. The, you could, you absolutely could, and you, the microphones and that too would be really, really entertaining. And so, no, I was just I wanted to know kind of what you thought on it, and and the Braves will be well represented. The home run derby, I think, is still fun. I do enjoy watching that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're watching you're just watching guys hit bombs and 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 it's you know there's always it's always hyped up there's always some controversy so it's always a lot of fun too
2: see i loved the the mic'd up stuff except for when they were in the box because as a hitter i would never be able to do that now when they had the uh trevino and his pitcher both with the, uh, was it Cortez? Cortez. And they're talking back and forth. That was awesome. That was yeah, fascinating,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, All-Star Weekend coming up for Major League Baseball, but so is the draft, and we'll talk about that with Lindsey Crosby when we come back.
0: You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. And Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader.
1: 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Bird. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio for all of hour number one. Talking baseball when it comes to the Braves. Talking MLB All-Star weekend coming up and... Talking about the MLB draft that is coming up as well. We are going to talk about that in just a few minutes, but let's get to the phone lines. 334-321-1390. And Terry, you're on the line, man. What's up?
4: Hey guys. Got a question for Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay, it just seems like there's a lot of talk about Ron Washington. How 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 fast does he zoom to the top of the managerial list for next year?
3: That's a very good question. The, there's been a lot of talk about Is he willing to leave Atlanta or not? I think if he's going to go, this is probably the last chance. He is 71. He has said before. Oh, okay, that that old. Yeah, yeah, he is 71. He said before that he enjoyed his time as manager in Texas. Obviously, it ended a little bit of controversy. Um, I I think him not getting hired last year. It's reported the Cardinals were looking at him, the Ali Marmel uh, hire there. Him not getting hired last year, this is probably the last chance, but I really think it's up to him. If he wants to be a manager, the team's going to give him a chance. But every indication we've heard is that all of these coaches, they're all a little bit up there in age, and they all love working together. If I was 71, I don't necessarily know if I'd be willing to go take over on a new franchise versus kind of staying where I am. He's considered to be one of the uh, best infield coaches in all of baseball. And being 71, it feels like he's going to stick around in Atlanta, but you never know.
4: Where, where's his uh, geography background? Uh, he, the reason I asked that because I thought he might be a candidate for the Oakland job when they moved to Las Vegas.
3: So he is from New Orleans, and he does still live in New Orleans in the off season. So okay. uh, he he did do some work like with Scott Hatterberg of the Oakland days. He's done ah. some work with Oakland in the past. But I I I also, given the way his managerial career ended in Texas, I don't know if Las Vegas is the place that he wants to be. I think he knows that as well, <laughs> given some of the stuff that happened. So. Um, I'm I'm pretty confident the Braves are going to keep him because I think if he wanted to go, he would have gotten a
4: job by now. In fact, oh my God, Lindsey old is Dusty Baker.
3: Uh, Dusty Baker's he's pretty up there too. I want to say Dusty Baker is uh, what is he? He's seventy four, seventy five, I think. He's seventy four, yeah, seventy four. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's pretty up there, and he's I think he's the oldest manager in baseball right now. The mm. the trend is towards younger managers. The only ones that have really made it being older guys are the ones that have been really good about. Being players' managers, but also understanding the analytics and, and getting that side in because so many front offices are, are steering it towards younger guys who are well versed in the analytics. And Dusty Baker and Brian Sinker are really the only kind of old school managers that are still left that are still comfortable with that kind of stuff.
4: Yeah, I talking from my generation, the guys that have won World Series. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, appreciate Thank the call, Terry.
1: Here. Good to hear from you. Good question for Lindsey Crosby, 334 321 1390.
2: I totally forgot that that was Ron Washington and Moneyball that's yeah. working with Haddeburg. I
3: just. That's Ron Washington in Moneyball. For the life
2: Moneyball. of me, I just forgot about that. And and I see it now th- thinking about the actor. It, yeah. He looks like Ron Washington to me.
3: Play Playing first base is easy. Tell him, Wash. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. <laughs> I just don't
1: know if. I just don't know if he would take a manager job. I, I just think he's yeah. he's got such a good thing going, right? He's, he, he's one of the best coaches in baseball when it comes to the infield and what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, he, like you mentioned, 71 years old. That's a lot of responsibility. That's a tall task to take over at the age of 71. And, again, he's so good at what he does, and he's got such a good thing going with the Braves who are competing year in and year out. I mean, why would you? I don't know what he's making. I, I don't know if that's public knowledge or whatever, but I'm sure he's getting paid pretty well and you just do the same thing every year with a group of guys that he seems to enjoy coaching with.
3: That's the biggest thing to me is like you're for the most part, you're static right here. you have, you have the same you have the same starters, you have everything else. From what I understand, uh, he's making just around a million dollars or so, which is pretty standard for a position coach. Uh, he is one of the higher paid ones, as I understand it. A lot of them make high six figures. He's making low seven figures. Um, but if it's me, I've got this infield static for a couple of years. I've worked with these guys for so long. My reputation's pretty much set. And my record is over 500, but only by 30 or 40 games. So <laughs> if I could retire with a record of over 500 still as a manager, I'm probably taking that.
2: I think I would too. And so I think that was a and good question by Terry. Yeah. With, with him being from New Orleans, mm-hmm. I forgot that there's not a minor league team there anymore. There is not. It used to be the Zephyrs, they mm-hmm. rebranded to the Baby Cakes. Uh, by the way, the finalist names that they had in their rebrand were awesome. The Baby Cakes, the Crawfish, the King Cakes, the Night Owls, Po' Boys, Red Eyes, and Tailgaters, like Alligator. Uh, I like I Po' Boys. I don't know why they didn't go with Tailgaters, because I think that's sick. But the, they lasted like two more years.
3: The college there, the University of, of New you Orleans, know. they're the privateers. Which is just kind of mm-hmm. funny, okay? And the Green Wave, but I yeah, Tulane. But then after that, I believe the next closest is going to be the Mississippi teams. Yeah, yeah, the I would Braves, think so. Uh, Biloxi has one, you mm-hmm. know, a couple of that. Yeah, I'm surprised
2: that there's not some sort of professional baseball team where, there. Where are you going to put it? Well, yeah, I mean, it is the most landlocked city in yeah, the U.S. Exactly, but just it's it seems like too big of a cultural city in the U.S. to not have. Some sort of baseball.
3: There's so many other things to do in New Orleans, you know. there's plenty of stuff, just like Las Vegas. Very I'm still true. not convinced Las Vegas is going to work as a baseball destination.
2: Really. So why, why do you think baseball or Vegas works as as a hockey town and potentially as a, as a football town because we haven't we haven't seen the Raiders be really good yet. and then why would it not work?
3: as a baseball fan. So hockey, you have... Hockey's closer to baseball, but still, you only have 41 home games. And there's a lot of space between the games. You'll play... If I remember right, you'll play two to maybe three games a week. Mm-hmm. And so you may have two home games in a week, and then you're gone for a week, week and a half, and then you're back. Whereas baseball, you have twice the inventory, 81 home yeah. games. Uh, football, you only have 17 games total and half of those we have either eight or nine home games so it's very much an event and there's a lot of a lot of the sales that the the Raiders made in the new stadium are corporate sales it's entertainment of clients and things like that and I just feel like if you have say a six game homestand in Las Vegas that's a whole different thing trying to get draws to six games versus you have a hockey game on Friday and another one on Tuesday it's it's a big yeah. ask in a city that has a lot of things to do and a lot of people who do not live there and are not from there and have no sort of attachment to the local civic pride thing. And even the Golden Knights, they only really got big once they started winning. And they want to they won a Stanley well, they, Cup.
2: They want immediately, immediately, right. yeah, and, and th- so that, that definitely helped. helped.
3: But like the Oakland has no connection. Like, the, sorry, the, the the Athletics have no connection to Las Vegas and i just worry they're not going to be able to fill 81 games reliably think, every year especially when they're bad i think you've
2: got to put a massive sports book in the stadium i think you, i think that would help and you have to go out of your way to schedule your home games as much as possible while other sporting events are happening mm-hmm. where somebody can yeah. watch the baseball game while they're watching there's other sporting yeah. events on a tv that they uh, have placed some bets on. I and
3: think
1: two things that would help a baseball team in Las Vegas. A, because Vegas fans have shown how passionate they are already when it comes to the Raiders and to the Golden Knights. Yes, help, winning helps and cures all. We know that, but I think that helps. But then I think the, the the conversation that was had when the first professional sports team went to Las Vegas was, well, how loyal are the fans going to be and will it be a lot of pedestrians and a lot of tourists going to the games? It's motivated that city. Right, and I think that would actually benefit a baseball team because of the reason you were just talking about Lindsey where you do have 81 home games and there's a random baseball game on a Wednesday night at home where if you have somebody visiting Las Vegas and they've, you know, we've been in the casinos 2 or 3 days, it's time for us to go do something different. Hey, there's a baseball game in town. Let's go watch the the Vegas baseball team play. I think that would actually help a Las Vegas team, rather than hurt them like we were talking about when it came to football, basketball, potentially, and hockey like that's there right yeah, now. Yeah,
2: and, and, and I think you almost have to make your park its own kind of... Tourist attraction. Yes. Yeah. And and I think about this is... Lindsay will know exactly what I'm talking about here. Okay. Lindsay, the Quad Cities minor league team, what do you know about their, their, their ballpark? They have built an amusement park in the ballpark to attract fans. You almost have to do something like that. Like have some sort of make it an event just to come to the park yeah. and draw the casual fans because in. there's so
3: many other options in Las yeah. Vegas for mm-hmm. stuff to do. And,
2: and it can be that break from being in a casino or being in a typical sports book, I guess. But I that, mean, I I I do think that there's a way to get it done. I, I think at some point One of these professional sports teams that are going to continue to pop up in Vegas, because we know the A's are doing it, we know the NBA, that's one of the two cities that I think they're they're looking at for expansion. Somebody's going to fail. I just feel like it's a numbers game, and somebody's going to fail. And I don't know who it's going to be
3: first. My concern, and the thing that people are not addressing with this moving to Vegas thing, is the problem in Oakland, yes, the ballpark was bad. But the problem in Oakland was Jeff Fisher. He wouldn't spend money. Even yes. when they were good, he wouldn't spend money. How do we know he's going to magically change who he is and start spending money when they get to Las Vegas?
2: Could we see him move the team, generate a little bit of
3: excitement,
2: and then, and then, sell? then
3: sell? If he's smart, that's what, that's what he does. Mm,
2: that's what I was going to ask. I mean, what the the value of the organization just by moving from Oakland to Vegas has to go up, right? You would
3: think so. Um, I mean, he... If you have a new stadium, especially if you own that stadium versus where you're leasing now, the value inherently just goes up, if nothing else, because you have all the revenue streams around the ballpark. Everybody's doing the model that the battery has in Atlanta and all of that, which that off into a separate company should happen soon, so you can buy Brave stock coming up pretty quickly. Uh, but... Like it's that's going to make it more valuable. He's only been the owner since 05 though. And so I don't know if he's I mean, he's sixty two years old. I don't necessarily know if he's ready to sell and cash out. He owns the uh he owns a soccer team. He owns two soccer teams. He owns a US soccer team and a Scottish soccer team. He's the son of the guy who founded the gap. Like the uh, clothing store. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. That's who he is. Like he didn't is actually still a thing. He it didn't is. actually earn this money. He just inherited it. And so it's like That's the question. Like He didn't become full owner until 2016 because he bought it with a partner and then bought the guy out.
1: Interesting. So
3: do we know he's going to start magically spending money when he moves to Las Vegas? Is he even going to move? He has a team in California still.
1: Right. But I think to Carter's point, when they move to Vegas, take two or three years, let's say magically they start winning some games. The value at that point will probably be at its peak for a while, I would think. And then you sell. If he's smart, you sell. Take your money and run, and then let he, somebody else come in who can actually grow a franchise baseball team can in Las Vegas. Go buy
2: the San Jose Sharks or something if he really wants to own a California. He owns the San Sports Jose
3: team. Earthquakes, the, the the soccer team
2: there you go there well, you go there you, you go can go by the san jose sharks and and really centralize own the city teams. of san jose own the city
1: of san jose well that's not what we wanted to talk about but that was a great conversation i'm glad we had that yep. when we come back i do want to talk the draft really really quick with lindsey crosby because auburn uh, has a couple of guys you may you never know so we'll talk about the draft when we come back wrapping up our number one on the thursday edition of on the line
0: you are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app.
1: Back after a quick break as we wrap up hour number one on the Thursday edition of On the Line. want to talk the MLB draft. It's coming up. Uh, it's it's like you mentioned earlier, Lindsay, all the all-star stuff and the draft all kind of squished together. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense from the Major League Baseball perspective, but they do a lot of things that we question. Um, when it comes to the draft, what do our listeners need to know when it comes to Auburn guys, SEC guys, and pretty much any commonly known name uh, that may hear their name called on draft night over the next couple of days? Uh,
3: It is going to be very heavy SEC. Uh, That is something we know by now. The SEC is the best level of amateur baseball in the country, as Butch Thompson always says. Uh, Your first two picks are going to be some combination. We're still trying to figure it out. First three picks, some combination of SEC talent. Dylan Cruz, the outfielder from LSU. uh, Paul Skeens, the right-handed pitcher from LSU. And Wyatt Langford, the outfielder from Florida. Those are your three favorites to be one through three in the draft. We don't know the exact order. The mock draft, the official mock draft that we did unlocked on, on MLB Prospects, dropped on our YouTube feeds today. Uh, we actually had Paul Skeens going one to Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and Dylan Cruz going two to Washington. Um, Auburn has, has a couple guys to be watching in different days of the draft. The day one is the first two rounds. Uh, nobody on Auburn's team's projected to go in day one. In day two, the guys to watch for, it's going to be shortstop Cole Foster, and it's going to be right-hand pitcher Joseph Gonzalez. And Foster's one, everybody who's watched Cole Foster thinks his defense is good, his arm is good, switch hitter, he's got all that stuff, it makes sense. People are a little confused about Joseph Gonzalez being a day two draft selection because he missed all but one game this season with a shoulder issue. And... The baseball draft doesn't work like the football draft. Like In college, if a guy is hurt and misses a lot of the year, he'll typically come back and play to rebuild his value. Baseball's different because you have so long until you make the bigs. They're, they, they overlook individual season performance or an injury or something like that because they're looking at what is the clay and what can we mold this guy into? Can he play in three years? Auburn had Hayden Mullins last year was drafted coming off of Tommy John surgery because they're not concerned about what can you do immediately after the draft. They're concerned about what does it look like down the road in three years or so. So Joseph Gonzalez day two selection. He's the biggest wild card in the draft to me. I don't know where he's going to go. And then after that late in day two. So long story short, um, you can pay a college senior less money than you pay a prep player or you pay a college junior because college seniors don't have a lot of options. So oftentimes, late on day two, when the money still matters, you'll see a lot of college seniors taken maybe earlier than their skill level would necessarily dictate. Um, Nate LaRue, the catcher, is somebody to watch for on day two. He's been playing in the MLB Draft League. He's been putting up some good numbers. Uh, He's been showing defensive versatility. He's played first base as well as catching and DHing. And even though Auburn fans weren't thrilled with his offense, last year, and he'll be the first to admit it wasn't where he thought it would be. Uh, Catcher is that one position where some teams will prioritize defense over offense. We saw Butch Thompson do it all year, Uh, and he is a very, very good defensive catcher. And so he's one of the better defensive catchers in the draft, and in a year that is pretty poor in catching talent. Other than Kyle Teal of Virginia, he'll be a first-rounder, probably a top-10 pick, Outside of him, there's no real good college catchers in this draft. Hmm. Uh, like Carter, if you wanted to clear, you have a good shot of getting drafted pretty, pretty <laughs> decently because there's just no good college catchers here. And so because of that, Nate's going to get taken, I would say, later on day two. And then after that, you have a lot of Auburn guys who may or may not get picked. Cooper McMurray's a draft eligible sophomore. It's his third year. He turned 21 before the draft. Uh, you have guys like Bobby Pierce who's had some injuries in his career, looked really good when healthy, but was hurt last year. He may come back. He may go um, things like that. And then for Auburn's recruits, you've got two big names that are first round guys right now. Kevin McGonigal, Colt Emerson. Uh, They both play shortstop and second base. Uh, The consensus all spring around the program, talking to coaches, has been one of them will make it on campus. We don't know who, but one of them will probably make it to campus and one of them will get drafted and signed. And I do know, as of two weeks ago, Emerson was part of that group of recruits that enrolled over the summer and was going to classes and was doing workouts. That doesn't mean that he will automatically stay if he gets drafted. Kevin McGonigle was not enrolled, uh, was set to report in the fall. They have until August 1st, I think, to make that decision. But I expect one of those two to get drafted, I think. McGonagall's probably the one because he's considered one of the better pure prep hitters in this entire class Mm -hmm. and typically those guys that have that really significant carrying tool like that those are the ones that teams go above the slot give extra money to to buy him out of a college commitment colt emerson would probably be a slot or maybe below slot selection so i think he's probably more likely or not to come to campus and he's probably immediately your starter at second base a lot of
1: good information on Auburn baseball. I have one more question, but before I ask you, we're, we're down to a couple of minutes. So plug everything you have going where everybody can find you. I want to make sure you have plenty of time to do that where uh, the music doesn't kick us out of here. So we always appreciate your time. I have one more question. It'll take a couple of minutes. So plug everything you
3: got going on and tell people where they can find you. Okay, While it still exists, uh, twitter.com, stop, stop, <laughs> at Crosby Baseball and Twitter is the the hub for everything. The Auburn baseball coverage, AuburnDaily.com, the Atlanta Braves coverage, BravesToday.com, the minor league baseball coverage, Locked in MLB prospects. Can't stress enough. Go to YouTube, hit the n- notification bell. We are going live. I'll do about two hours of a live show on Sunday night as the draft is happening, talking about these picks. And then if you're a subscriber to Bleacher Report, I'll be doing uh, live shows for them on Friday night and on Tuesday afternoon, talking about the draft and the farm systems after the draft. When it comes to this year's draft, correct me if I'm wrong,
1: it's a pretty good split of college prospects
3: and high school prospects. I feel like there's a lot more college guys than normal. Yes, there is a, the the strength of this is really college, and the strength is really college bats. And if you think back to, you know, you're first eligible for the draft three years after high school. If you think about the draft three years ago, that was 2020 where you only had five rounds. And traditionally, a lot of prep guys, if they're not taken in the first, they're taken later in the draft. Because any draft pick after the 10th round, if they don't sign, you don't lose the money that was allocated to that slot. So it's less risky to take a prep guy there. You can still pay him first round money. So a lot of the prep talents that teams were questioning, are they going to go to college or not? Mm -hmm. They didn't get drafted in 2020. So they're all in this draft. This is a very deep draft for college hitting, uh, to the point of when I was doing this mock, I don't think we got a single left-handed pitcher in the first round, and never mind, uh, you know, college pitch. Like it's just, it's there's so much good college hitting in this draft because half of these guys would have been drafted three years ago if the draft was more than five rounds. Mm-hmm. So. Um, because of that, you're probably going to see some prepsters get pushed down the board if they're not uh, head and shoulders above some of the college options like a Kevin McGonigal is. Uh, you're going to see them get pushed down the board. That combined with NIL means you're probably going to benefit from that at the college level by getting guys to report to campus that wouldn't have reported to campus. Uh, you know, but. It is a very good, like it is a really well distributed class because this is the first class that didn't lose any significant time in their high school career, right? To COVID either, because they really got their last three years intact. Yeah. Well, it should be a, an interesting draft. There's so
1: many good players. Lindsay, as always, brother, we appreciate you stopping by, talking baseball, Braves draft, All Star weekend. So much covered here in hour number one. But stay tuned. We're talking all things college football coming up in hour number two.
0: An Auburn Network production. You are on the line, live on ESPN 106.7.
1: You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well as we get underway in hour number two here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Bird. If you missed any of the first hour, be sure to uh, go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it uh, one of two ways, ESPNAU.com, or just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Lindsey Crosby just walked out of the studio, we had him in the uh, here on the show for all of our number one for the Baseball Power Hour, talking all things Atlanta Braves. We talked about uh, the MLB All Star Break coming up and MLB Draft. And so, uh, if you're a baseball junkie, he's our baseball guru that we bring in. Uh, try to have him on once a week, and uh, you know it's busy time for him, especially this weekend coming up. And so, if you missed any of that, if you're a baseball person, be sure you go and catch up with the podcast ESPN AU. Dot.com later today tomorrow whenever you'd like uh coming up here in hour number 2 though I still know Chris Gordy this week. He'll be joining us again next week. I had a couple of weeks taken off, and so uh, Chris Gordy locked on SEC. He will be joining us again next week at 3.30. So here in hour number two, talking a lot of college football. I want to talk about the Cam Coleman news because we didn't get a chance to talk about that yesterday. I definitely want to discuss that here in hour number two. We also have question of the day. Then Carter and I are giving our quarterback rankings going into 2023 for the sec so excited to get into that that'll be at 330 phone lines are open give us a call 334 321 1390 carter the news that really shocked auburn shocked the the country really when it comes to high school recruiting was cam coleman who is one of the uh, biggest five-star recruits in the country chose to go to Texas A&M over the long weekend. Your thoughts on, on that breaking news from a couple of days ago?
2: Well, I mean, there was Auburn seemed like they had so much momentum. There were all these predictions coming in for Auburn, and he's just down the road. There's a lot of things that were going in Auburn's favor. I think people had started to become very optimistic about him, and you also had the Perry Thompson momentum and the Demarcus Riddick momentum that has been – slowly building, he felt really good about it. Uh, And then he, I don't think he had announced that he was going to announce on July 4th on Instagram Live, but uh, he hops on Instagram Live, basically says he's going to uh, announce and commits to Texas A&M. They were one of the final three teams, and it was Auburn, FSU, and A&M down the stretch. Uh, I think that most people thought FSU was Auburn's biggest threat. But credit AM. They they did a great job uh recruiting him. Apparently Cam Coleman has family in college station, which I didn't know going into that announcement. Um and it's a big pickup for them. It's not the end of the world for Auburn. And I saw people having a meltdown about it. Look, this Yes, Justin Ross from Central, was really good at Clemson. E.J. Williams was another big name that went to Clemson. He had a pretty good freshman year and nothing really ever since, to the point that he's now transferred to Indiana, by the way. I don't think that this is the end of the world that some people think it is. It's not. And, like, Auburn can fill out this class fine, and Auburn can't afford to get in a giant bidding war with teams if if it comes down to that. Over N. I.
1: Yeah, and and when it comes to Cam Coleman, you said it already. It seemed like Florida State was was the school that Auburn was going to go up against. Uh, it seemed like it was either going to be Florida State or Auburn, and it, it, and Auburn felt really good from the people we've talked to on the show, people we've talked to off the air. Uh, it seemed like Auburn was in a really really good spot for Cam Coleman, and yes, he would have been a a fascinating pickup. For Auburn and I don't want to sit here and and say well he would have been a game changer if Auburn got him but since he's not here he's not worth anything I don't believe that I think Cam Coleman's a really good player and I think he's a really good recruit and he would have been a fantastic addition to this Auburn class and I think he would have made a bigger impact on Auburn's class than the impact he will make on Texas A&M's class and what I mean by that before we get to the phone lines what I mean by that is a guy like Cam Coleman that would step into the recruiting class for Auburn is a huge pickup, one of the biggest that Hugh Freeze would have pulled so far. Cam Coleman going to Texas A&M, credit to Jimbo Fisher, he's pulled big names, he's pulled big recruits already. Hasn't done a whole lot with them, but he's at least gotten them on campus. And so mm-hmm. I think the, the splash, if you will, or the impact that Cam Coleman choosing Auburn would have made would have been a lot bigger than it is for Texas A&M. And we can talk a lot more about this in just a few minutes, but let's get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Shane, you're on the line, man. What's up? Yes,
4: hey guys. I uh, just wanted to chime in on the topic. Yeah. Uh, I've got a couple a couple comments. One, you know, uh, if t- the state of Texas wanted a recruit, there's, there's nobody in the country that can outbid them, uh, Texas or Texas A&M.
2: Yeah, in terms of I'm money, pretty,
4: yes. That I mean, with there's no one that could outbid money-wise. Yeah, yes. Uh, if you have a competent coach, which that's 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 borderline. Um, so I'm pretty sure that's probably a. a I think that dude might have been planning on you know coming to Auburn and then a the last minute push by A M. and uh, So. Money is, in my opinion, is the reason why he's he's there. And um, but the bright news is, you know, we can um, we can just wait another year because because next year, you know, after Jimbo's gone, uh, he'll be he'll be looking for another place.
1: <laughs> which I, I have seen a lot of people say that, and I don't think it's very outlandish I, to say. I've it. been
2: told by some people that Jimbo's got at least two more years, which I'm a little surprised by because this year goes poorly. Because I do see a path to six and six, there that path is absolutely there. I can't imagine that they're going to have the patience to just hang around with them.
4: No, I don't. I don't see that, and and I don't see uh, some of the some of the players uh, sticking around. If if they they they're they're supposed to be doing something, you know. From from the recruits that they're getting and the, the resources that they have, they, they should be doing better than what they're doing under Jimbo. I agree. Yep. And so, so a lot of these players, I, I don't know why they're coming. Is, is it is it because of money in the in the last year or two? Is it is it all money or is it what you know? What else is it that's gonna that's gonna sway somebody nowadays? I uh,
2: I, I mean I guess Jimbo can say he is a national championship winning coach. Their facilities are very nice, and... Yeah, I mean, let's be, let's be honest. They've got NIL money. But, they've, they've got a lot of it. But if in a year, let's say that A&M does go on that 6-6 six and six path and Jimbo Fisher is fired, if you're going to find out. If looks awful and Auburn shows competence, you might see a guy like him. There's a long time between now and December when signing day is.
1: Right, and what I'm saying I, I is learned. I think that if you see Jimbo Fisher fired, you are going to see a lot of those kids. You're going to see why they went to yeah. A&M. Did they go there for Jimbo in the facilities, or did they go there for the NIL? money you're going to find that out really quick
4: yeah i, I agree with that that statement and uh you know it, it, it would have been really it probably would have been a, a feather in the cap kind of kind of player to to have this this especially this early in in uh freezes mm-hmm. tenure you know so so that would have been awesome that's that's why it hurts a little bit right but uh but you know it, it we, we still got we still got plenty of time to to get those feathers, so I'm I'm not worried. Yeah, it would have been awesome to have them, but yeah. he, he, he might have turned out to be a, you know to be never know. So
2: yeah, no, I I percent yeah, agree, it. and I, and I think look when we're talking about kind of tent poles of this class, feathers in the cap, like like you said, Joe Phillips is one of those. Especially when you take him from Georgia, uh, I think. Perry Thompson and Demarcus Riddick could be two of those guys as well. I mean, there are names out there Auburn can go land in, honestly, bigger battles than Cam Coleman because there there are bigger battles Auburn is having on the recruiting trail than fighting against Texas A&M and FSU. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a big battle to win, absolutely. But taking one of Alabama's and taking another one of Georgia's, That makes bigger waves in Auburn, Alabama, and in Tuscaloosa and Athens, and really the SEC, than it would have landing the uncommitted Cam Coleman up the road.
4: Yeah, I agree with all that, guys. Anyway, hey, what is it, a month? We got one more month until football begins. It starts next it's month, right? It's, yeah. It's two,
1: technically. Yeah, well, I we're believe. 59 days away today for, or is it 59 or 58 today? I can't remember. It's 58 today, you're, you're, I believe. You're
4: the
2: one that has the
1: calendar. I do. And it's 50, always is up to date. It's 58 days today on, until Auburn starts. But you have but football a week football
4: before that. It's in August, right?
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. The Vandy yep. Hawaii game's a week before that. And high school football Fair. starts even before
4: that, Shane. Yeah. And preseason, uh, that's not the preseason start. Uh,
1: before college football, for the NFL, I think
4: it I think starts. It
2: yeah, the, yeah, right, the, right, right I before think maybe the first week or something will start right before it. Especially because they, you know, they've they've cut down on how long the preseason is yeah. in the NFL. So I think there might be one week out in front of college football, maybe.
4: And and next week is, is media days,
2: right? Uh the following week. So not this next week, but the following,
4: following
1: week. Okay. Yep. Yep. It'll be July seventeenth, uh or July seventeenth through the twentieth.
4: Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right guys, thanks a lot. Yep, Boy, appreciate the call, Shane. man.
1: Good to hear from you, Shane. 334-321-1390. and, and to kind of echo what I said, what you said and what Shane was saying, it would have been really nice to have Cam Coleman. Let, let's just say it like it is. Yeah. It would have been really nice for Auburn to land Cam Coleman but it's not the end of the world. It's it's not, and and really, you know what you you know what you <laughs> what you chalk this up as? That's high school recruiting, man. That's recruiting. That's what it is. You can feel really really good about a guy. You can recruit him really hard. You can feel like you're in a good spot. You can believe that he is going to choose your school, and then all of a sudden something comes in. Somebody steps in the door last second, and they can flip their decision. And you know what? It happens with eighteen-year-olds. It happens with high school recruiting, and in this game, in this name of college football, college athletics, college recruiting, NIL,
2: all of that, yep. it happens. And sometimes
1: yeah. you just you, you get burned. Sometimes, and that's what happened with Auburn and Cam Coleman.
2: Yeah, I mean, it absolutely that is something that took place here. And I I do want to mention this that there was a really really dumb narrative that some Auburn fans ran to that. Pat Nix pushed Cam Coleman away from Auburn. That's really dumb. Yeah, I saw that. Let me let me just get out on the front end of that because I promise you that's not what happened. From what I know, that is not what happened at all. No, I'm not anywhere close to what happened. And there are some people pushing that narrative really foolish and dumb. There's talk of the Central High School curse. I mean, yeah. You haven't landed anybody from there, but you also had Gus Malzahn, who I don't think recruited at the level he could have. And he recruited well. I think he could have done better. Uh, and Brian Harson, who legitimately, if you showed him a map and said, hey, find Central High School, I think he would look at you with a pretty blank stare uh, because I don't think he knew where any high schools were past Auburn High. And um, look, I mean, Auburn's going to be fine. Auburn's going to pivot from this. They're going to continue to recruit Cam Coleman. I don't think they believe it. it's over. Will they land him? I don't know. I think they will have a shot, especially if that A&M offense continues to look bad and Auburn shows signs of life. Like have Jair shorter and and Stephen Hooks or not 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 Stephen Hooks. Um uh Hooks the 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 re- receiver go out there and um ball out and look really good have your quarterback look good have the offensive line play well which by the way I know we're going to get into this in a second I've heard some phenomenal things about Peyton Thorne but have the offense look really good a ms offense look kind of like that sleepy brand of offense that they had last year the door could open for you to climb back in this over the next few months in the meantime Auburn's going to pivot somewhere else they're mm-hmm. going to be fine Uh, and this class is still going to be really strong for Auburn. There's no reason to panic, and for some reason, a large portion of the Auburn fan base really panicked when Cam Coleman went elsewhere.
1: And my message to Auburn fans would be, I think Hugh Freeze in his very short amount of time has proven to you that he can go and get guys. He has proven to you that he's putting in the work and the effort to make it happen, and... And you and I have talked about this a couple of times. You're not gonna get them all, right? This isn't where this isn't a Nick Saban right now, where you can just pick any of the litter and and bring them home. Like you're not going to land them all. And I think Auburn fans had almost shit, not all of them, but a lot of them, and understandably so. It seems like it had shifted from when Brian Harson left was oh, crap, we can't get anybody to then Hugh Freeze stepped in the door, cranked up the heat to 180 and said, okay, then Auburn fans thought, okay, we can land anybody because it was exciting to see Hugh Freeze and this staff actually in the door and in the running for some of these big names. And this is one of those where you just didn't win. And it's not over, right? It's not over. Like you mentioned, he could go to AM for one year. Jimbo could get fired. The offense could be boring. And he goes, you know what? Maybe the NIL money wasn't worth it because I like to actually play and win college football games. And I think money had a a hand in why he went to AM. I'm not gonna say that's all the reason he went there because I don't know that. That's not for me to say, but I think it had an impact. And if he goes there and AM goes six and six, even seven and five, and the offense is boring, and Auburn comes out with an offense, whether it be Peyton Thorne or whoever at quarterback, and you have the offensive line play well, and the receivers step up and actually be threats on the field, a guy like Cam Coleman may reconsider and may transfer to Auburn. And I guarantee that Hugh Freeze and this staff would receive him with open arms and say, Come be great at Auburn. We understand you went a different route, but come home to the Plains, and I think that's something that Auburn fans should keep in their mind. I think they should trust in Hugh Freeze because he's proven to you he has earned that, I think, in his short amount of time here. He has earned the trust so far when it comes to recruiting for Auburn fans.
2: Yeah, 100%, and I still think this month has a chance to be absolutely huge for Hugh Freeze and the staff. Absolutely huge, and I People just need to take a breath. It's July 6th. Let's have a conversation around the start of August Mm -hmm. about where things stand. After Big
1: Cat Weekend, we could have a really interesting conversation on what's taking place over the next three and a half, four weeks.
2: I think you have a chance to make at least two massive shockwave moves in recruiting by the end of Big Cat weekend would not shock me if there's more. We'll talk
1: some more Auburn recruiting when we come back. We'll have question of the day. Who could be the next one to commit to Auburn and Hugh Freeze? We'll talk about that when we come back. 334-321-1390. More recruiting talk when we come back here on the Thursday edition of On The Line.
0: You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502.
1: All right, question of the day here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, continuing on talking Auburn football recruiting. Uh, We know that Auburn picked up DJ Barber on July 4th. Auburn missed out on Cam Coleman going to Texas A&M. But the question is always, well, who is going to be next, right? That's the question, 334-321-1390. Who could be next when it comes to committing to Auburn football and Hugh Freeze and this staff? There's a pretty decent list of guys that Auburn is in on that are planning on committing between pretty much right now and the start of high school football season. And so, Carter, I open the question in the floor to you. Who could be next for Auburn football recruiting?
2: There are three names that jump out to me. I think the leader in the clubhouse is Malik Blockton, the three-star defensive lineman. Uh, I think he's an in-state guy, if I do recall correctly. Just up the road at Pike Road. 6'2.5", uh, 268-pound defensive lineman. Uh, he's actually a composite four-star on 247. Uh, so maybe that'll, that'll excite some people a little bit more. I know that there was some... When uh, the Perry Thompson weekend visit happened, there were a lot of bat signals tweeted out by the Auburn staff and Mm -hmm. players and different fan uh, Twitter accounts and stuff. And everybody lost their mind thinking it was Perry Thompson. (laughs) I think it was probably Khalil House and Malik Blockton, and there was some negativity around that, which I think is really dumb and foolish. And then, of course, Uh, Khalil House not coming to Auburn. Yes, and... While I think he loved his – it seemed to me with Khalil House, it was a little bit of whatever visit he went on last, that was kind of the flavor of the month that he was all about. Which like happens a it. lot in high school w- recruiting. Yeah, and, and he went on a Stanford visit, loved it. Maybe there's a little bit of this – well, um, the Auburn fan base seemed very not excited about the idea of me committing, so maybe that played a very small role, but – uh, I mean, plenty of time for Khalil House to end up in the Auburn class when it's all said and done, especially when, I don't know why, like, other than academics, I have a hard time seeing why you would choose to go to Stanford with the state of that program. Yeah, year one, I'm with Year one, new coach. I think college football has passed them by. And I think the pac is
1: going to be sneaky good, and Stanford's going to be left in the dust.
2: I will say something uh because Stanford's such an expensive uh, place to live. Something that they've done that is genius that I don't know maybe a Colorado should do. They have on-campus housing for their assistant coaches. So their coaches get to live basically on campus for super cheaper for free. I can't remember which one it is. Huh. And it's save. It makes it a lot easier to go get better assistant coaches there, which credit to them. I just wanted to just a random note about Stanford, in case you were wondering. Uh, I think Malik Blockton is a name that could be uh, the next in the boat for for Auburn and on yeah. this class. That's where I go. Then I, I mean, here's one for you, Alvin Henderson, the 2025 running back. Okay, the the cousin of Fat Burnett. Which, by the way, there's a couple bat signals that went up today by the Auburn uh, Auburn commits. The first one was by Fat Burnett. And if Alvin Henderson was going to jump on the boat, I bet you Fat Burnett would be one of the first ones to know. Uh, So, I mean, he's a name. I mean, top 12 back, top 6 back, depending on where you look. He's the number 76 player in the 25 class, according to the 247 composite from Elba, Alabama. Um, Somebody who really likes Auburn. Every time raves about his time at Auburn. Could see him hopping on board uh, relatively soon. And then the third name I go to, which this one would be a big one if Auburn was able to land him Jalen Crawford, the corner out of Lilburn, Georgia, goes to Parkview High School. Uh, highly rated corner, uh, four star guy, top 165 guy. He's 162 in the 247 composite. Uh, Auburn would be going to battle with Florida and LSU for him. Uh, I think Auburn has been out in front. I think maybe Florida's got some momentum here late, but I'm never going to count out Hugh Freeze. Uh, And if he could be that guy, I think that is not quite a Joe Phillips pickup, but it's close. It's close. And it builds that momentum to the back half Mm -hmm. of this month when we know things have a chance for – some huge dominoes to fall
1: right I think the end of July is going to be it's just so crazy for Auburn football and like the potential of the amount of players that could commit to play for Auburn is going to be huge Um, when I look at who could be next who is just going to be the next one to commit I look at Malik did You mentioned him already. The uh, four-star, uh, four-star defensive line, six-two, right, 6'2", 268 according to two four seven. He is a that's a, a big boy up front. And the reason I am picking him to be next is because I believe his commitment date is July eighth, which would be Saturday. I believe he's committing on Saturday. Auburn seems to be in a really good spot with him. Uh, I know that Texas made a push. I think he uh, actually took a visit in Austin. And so uh, I think Texas made an influence on him, but it's been Auburn for a long time. I'm going to predict that he is the next one, but again... It's high school recruiting, and you just never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going to commit. You never know when they're going to commit, and you never know how they're going to commit. And that's what is really, really exciting about high school recruiting as well. But we'll talk recruiting when it happens. But coming up, we're doing our SEC quarterback rankings going into 2023. Don't turn that radio dial. It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: the Line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader.
1: 30 more minutes here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Bird on ESPN 1067. Well, we've started to see some uh, rankings come out. It's that time of the year, starting to get ready for football season as we are 58 days away from the kickoff of Auburn football and even sooner than that for football in general. Um, But started to see some lists and comparisons come out for quarterback rankings in the Southeastern Conference coming in to 2023 and uh, I would really like and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this we are going to give you our SEC quarterback rankings coming into 2023 and the reason we bring this up was because of uh, SEC Mike on Twitter who is a very well known account on Twitter um, gave his quarterback rankings and so it sparked our conversation so Carter I want you to read through that list really quick and then you and I are going to go back and forth and give our SEC quarterback rankings from bottom the top. So number
2: one, KJ Jefferson at Arkansas. Number two, Jaden Daniels at LSU. Number three, which, what on earth is this? Jackson Darn at Ole Miss. <laughs> number four, Will Rogers at Mississippi State. Number five, Connor Wegman at Texas A&M. Number six, Joe Milton at Tennessee. Number seven, uh, Devin Leary at Kentucky. Number eight. Uh, Carson Beck at Georgia, number nine, Spencer Rattler uh, at South Carolina, number 10, Jalen Milroe at Alabama, number 11, uh, Cook at Missouri, 12, Peyton Thorne at Auburn, 13, Swan at Vanderbilt, and... 14 my guy graham mertz at florida
1: oh boy well there are some major disagreements that i have on this list um and i'm sure that you do as well and so uh let's start at the bottom we'll start with 14 and work our way up and really how i did my list and i'm sure you did it similar um i ranked these quarterbacks based off of their skill and the quarterback themselves coming into 2023. I did take their team into consideration, but this is not what I think is going to happen in 2023 with the quarterbacks, right? Because there's a couple of guys on this list that are really high up, but their team is trash. And so there's, I mean, there's, It's a. it's a different, it's a weird thing to do because you can do it one way or the other. I kind of did a little bit of both. And so let's jump into this thing. I also have Graham Mertz at the bottom at 14 from Florida. Not anything against him. I just think there's a lot of talented quarterbacks in this league, and I have Graham Mertz at Florida at the 14th spot,
2: the last place quarterback in the SEC. Yikes. I thought we were going for the top. All right. I will go... You know what? I'll go Graham Mertz as well. I'll go (laughs) Graham Mertz as well at 14.
1: I have... A.J. Swan from Vanderbilt at 13. I think he's going to be improved in his sophomore season. I think he is going to take Vanderbilt to a bowl game in his sophomore season at 6-6. Six and six. But again, there's just a lot of talent in this league. I'm putting A.J. Swan of Vanderbilt at 13th.
2: Yeah, I'll go Swan as well. Um, actually, no, I'm going I'm going Cook at, at, at Missouri. I don't think he's very really? good okay. at all. So I'm going to go Brady Cook uh, at Missouri. Who do you have at 12th? I'll go AJ Swan there. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll flip-flop them um, for, for this exercise just because, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be nice to, to Vandy. I mean, I've got Vanderbilt beating M- Mizzou, and I think that uh, it'll happen because of the quarterback. Let's go with that.
1: I have Connor Wegman at 12 from Texas A&M. I don't think he's that good. I really don't. I don't think he's all that. I think he's that.
2: going to be good. I think he's still young.
1: I also think the offense will limit him. I think it limits him right now. And I think that's why Connor Wegman, he could be good somewhere else, but I don't think he's going to be good at Texas A&M. I don't think he's going to be a massive difference maker for them at the quarterback spot in 2023. I put him at 12. I think he's a bottom-tier quarterback in this
2: conference. I've got actually – can I make an amendment to mine? (laughs) Sure, go for it. This is an if situation. Tyler Buckner at 12, if he's the starter interesting if he's okay. the starter well and that's you that's something you have to remember our Ty, listeners Ty listening Simpson would be 13
1: <laughs> okay well and that's something I was going to say for our listeners got to take that into consideration there are some quarterback battles still happening and so we mm-hmm. got to rank them you know you got to kind of rank these based off of that so you would put Tyler Buckner at 12 if he's the starter I don't think he's gonna be the
2: starter that's why at 11 I have Jalen Milrow
1: Okay, that's where I have. I have Jalen Miller Milrow at 11 as well for Alabama. Um, I think he's going to be the starter, but I just, I really don't know. But I have Milrow at 11 for Alabama. Then I put Brady Cook of Missouri at 10. I think he's sneaky good, and I think he's really talented, I and I think he has potential to, to do some things at Missouri this year. Uh, I think his arm is really strong. I think he's just—I think he's underrated. I really do. Not saying he's going to be just the best thing you've ever seen, but I do like Brady Cook at Missouri, and I have him at the ten slot for the SEC quarterback
2: rankings. I have Jackson Dart from Ole Miss. Okay, I just—I don't think he's that good, and I think the fact that Lane Kiffin went and got 17 quarterbacks this off season, tells you he doesn't really believe in him. And the fact that, well, one, Spencer Sanders, there's some rumors out there right now, he's about to have to have surgery again on his shoulder. Uh, and he, and that may be why he wasn't able to win the job. So maybe it wasn't even Jackson Dart was all that impressive in the spring. Maybe the other guys just weren't as good as they thought. Well, when it comes to Ole Miss, I'm glad you bring that up because I put them at
1: the nine spot. And I put, I say them because... It legitimately could be a combination of three different guys. It it's, could be Dart. It's Dart. It's, it's probably it's going to be Dart.
2: It's not but Sanders, Sanders if it's not. and it's not Howard. I don't. I don't think it's Howard yet. I don't think it's Howard yet. But I think Howard could have started at Auburn in twenty three. Hmm. And he would have That's been. That's interesting. I, I think he. I think Howard would have had a better future at Auburn than he would have Ole Miss. That's yeah, I,
1: I can get behind that for sure. I put the Ole Miss quarterback room at nine so i had do think it's i'd brady cook at 10 oh Missouri. yeah you're right you're right yeah i had brady cook at 10 i have old miss at nine more than likely jackson dart but even if it's spencer sanders i still put him at seven i think either one of them is mm-hmm. still seventh or ninth excuse me sorry have them at nine then you move up to eight this is another situation where they well i,
2: I haven't given my nine yet Kyle oh, you haven't? Connor Wegman, Texas A&M.
1: Oh, at
0: nine. That's so ugly. I
2: think he's going to get better. I don't think that team is going to be great, but I think he showed me some things down the stretch that I think he's got some potential. Okay. All right. Connor Wegman at nine. Who do you have at eight? Uh, Carson Beck, Georgia. Okay. I just, he's not a known commodity. And I, and look, Stetson Bennett was not a top-four quarterback in in the SEC his entire tenure. We've seen them been able to win with lesser quarterbacks. Jake Jake Fromm, same thing. I think Carson Beck's going to be a little bit more of that until Rayola comes on campus. And when Rayola takes that job, I really have some serious fears about how nasty this Georgia team could get.
1: I also put Carson Beck at 8 for Georgia. I don't think it's Vandergriff. Uh, I think it will be Carson Beck until... As you mentioned, it gets taken from him. Um, and then George is going to be really good when they actually have a high-level quarterback recruit coming on campus. But I put Carson Beck coming into 2023 in the bottom half of SEC quarterback rankings. So to recap before we get to the top half really quick, I have Graham Mertz from Florida at 14, A.J. Swan of Vanderbilt at 13, Connor Wegman from Texas A&M at 12, I have Milro from Alabama at 11, Brady Cook at 10 from Missouri, I have more than likely Jackson Dart from Ole Miss at 9, and I have Carson Beck at eight for Georgia.
2: Yep, that's uh, uh I'm in the same boat with you for, for the most part. We've, we we differ on Wigman, we differ on Dart, uh, and I guess we have the one spot difference on Swan and Cook. We have them, or well, you you have Cook a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Right? I have Cook at 10, yeah, I have him at 13. Um, but moving forward... Yep, so now I, we're in the top half. I'm, I'm, I'm going to shake up mine as we go. Okay. Because I, the more I think about it. Number seven, Spencer Rattler. It's just not consistent enough. When it is on, it's unbelievable. I think he's got the most armed talent of any quarterback in the SEC. But I want him to show it to me for more than two games. So I'm going to say Spencer Rattler at seven
1: okay interesting Auburn fans may not be thrilled about who I'm going to put right here but I'm putting Peyton Thorne at seven for now coming into 2023 I'm putting because I do believe Peyton Thorne wins the Auburn job okay I, you and I are in agreement on that I'm putting Peyton Thorne at seven he's a top half quarterback in the SEC but here's why everybody that is above him that we'll get to in just a few minutes everybody that is above him has proven SEC experience. They've won in the SEC. They've looked good in the SEC. And ultimately, they just have the experience playing in this conference. I think Peyton Thorne, by the end of the season, because I'd like to do this again after college football season, like we always do, I think Peyton Thorne will be a top five quarterback in the league. But coming into 2023, I have to see it be played out. I have to see what Hugh Freeze's offense is going to look like. I have to see what the offensive line can do for him. I have to see who steps up at receiver. Who's going to catch the football? What are, what are Peyton Thorne's decisions like? What, what choices does he make on the field? What choices does he make off the field, right? All of that is a factor, and it is a question mark right now. I think he's good, and I think he's going to be good. But coming into 2023, I put Peyton Thorne at the 7 spot until I can see him transition from Michigan State Big Ten football to Auburn SEC West football. And that's why I put Peyton Thorne at 7. Still a top-half quarterback, though, but coming in, I put him at the 7 spot.
2: Yeah, um, I'm not far off from you there because, look, I've got got Peyton Thorne at 6. I've got Peyton Thorne at 6. I love Peyton. Love, love, love! What I am hearing about him, I think he's got that uh, dog in him. As as the as the youth say this these days, as the youngins <laughs> say nowadays. Uh, yes, he will. He absolutely. I think he's going to be really good. I think he's ready for this moment. I think he's won over the locker room. I think. He's going to be a lot more mobile than we think. And I think that's going to show. And I think he is distancing distancing himself from Robbie Astrid. And I think by the, by the time this season's over, he might be fourth. Interesting. I think he can be top
1: five, no doubt. But until, and I'm not saying it won't happen. I think it will happen. But coming into
2: 23, he could be third. I could talk myself into him being third in this conference it would take a lot I could see it it would take a lot I, I I when we get to three who I have there I will make the argument for why I think that guy could drop down and open the door for Thorne to climb up there let me give you my number six
3: before
1: we do our top five when we come back after the break I have Peyton Thorne at seven people aren't gonna like this I put KJ Jefferson at six wow I have KJ Jefferson at six and here's why that I think you're crazy for this one and I might be I might be, but I took a shot and I did it anyway because when I was making the list, I talked myself into the other five being better than him more consistently. And the reason is, I just think KJ Jefferson. I think he's good. I think the comparisons to some of the guys he's gotten comparisons to are ridiculous. I think there's a, oh, yes. I think there's a setback year in twenty three for him. I think Arkansas is talented, but I don't think they're all that talented. I think he struggles this year. I am year.
2: curious about what that offense looks like without Briles and with, with Dan Enos.
1: And I also think that people in. know how to play him now. He's not just this big anomaly anymore. He is a guy that you know how to defend. And I think the SEC will figure him out. And they're going to make him throw the football. And I don't know if he can do that consistently. He can do it well. But how consistently? You talked about that with Rattler. I have that worry with K.J. Jefferson, I, and I think teams know how to defend him in 23, and I think I, he takes I a think, step
2: back. I think his the caveat, the saving grace for him is Rocket Sanders. He has a potential first-round back next to him in the backfield, and I think with their read-option game, with their ability to run the football, it's hard to lock kj jefferson into hey you're gonna have to sit in the pocket and complete passes consistently through for four quarters i just think it's hard to do
1: which is fair and we'll see we'll talk about our top five as we wrap up the thursday edition of on the line giving our sec quarterback rankings coming into 2023 we'll wrap it up when we come back
0: you are on the line on espn 106.7 Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app.
1: Wrapping up the Thursday edition of On the Line as we give our SEC quarterback rankings coming into 2023. We've made it to the top five. We have about six minutes or so, Carter, so we'll have to kind of go quickly here. But... I shocked you and maybe shocked the world. I don't know. I put KJ Jefferson at six. I just think it's a step back year. I think it is a a regress more than a progress year for him. Uh, and I put him at six to go ahead and give you my fifth best quarterback coming into the SEC in 2023. I put Spencer Rattler at, at number five from South Carolina. I think he continues to be good. Yes, there are consistency issues, but I think he's just got that flashy player Type of, of mentality, right? And he just is a flashy player. I put him as a top five quarterback because he is a difference maker for South Carolina, which I think they'll have a pretty solid year.
2: I, I look, I I think everybody in the top eight for me has a chance by the end of the year to be top four, top five, uh, and like Rattler could have a year where he he comes out of the year number one, and and we're talking about a top ten. Draft draftable quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, he has that talent. It's just putting it all together consistently. I think he can do it. I just want to see it. Uh, five for me, Devin Leary. Devin Leary, if he's healthy, he should have a better offensive line than he's had the last two years at NC State. Uh, we've talked with Lance. They've done a pretty good job kind of retooling that offense. The new offensive coordinator should be an upgrade. If he can replicate... 2021 at all, he will be a top five quarterback in this league. And he'll be a first-round draft pick quarterback. As long as as long as he's healthy, that peck injury does scare me a little bit. That's why I have him below the next name on this list right now. I think they're pretty interchangeable at their best. Uh, but Leary is my number five quarterback.
1: I have Leary at four, which is a good transition. I have Devin Leary at four. I think he is just a better passer than Spencer Rattler, which is why I put him above him. I put him at four. The injury does scare me too, but if he stays healthy,
2: Devin Leary is one of the best quarterbacks in this league. And and you, everything you said, I oh, did. I mean, fully healthy, Devin Leary is a top ten quarterback in America. Exactly. Uh and and I think I think that's where. I think Rattler at his best is a top 10 quarterback in America as well. For four for me, I have Joe Milton at Tennessee because I think Joe Milton's about to have a nuclear year. I think he he's the perfect fit for that scheme trying to chuck the ball deep and just really get vertical. There's not a better vertical deep ball thrower in terms of just pure arm strength than Joe Milton in America. And – I think he showed out at uh, the Manning Passing Academy, a little summer thing. I think they had a little quarterback competition. I think he showed some incredible arm strength. Michael Penix at Washington looked really good as well. He's a top five quarterback in, the, in America, by the way. Uh, but Joe Milton is my number four quarterback because of his fit in that scheme. Number three, Will Rogers, Mississippi State. Big caveat here. I put him at three for me as well. Big caveat here. He's changing offenses. He's been in the air raid. I have him because of what he's done, his resume. I have him at three. But I think of of this these guys in the top six or seven, he has the biggest kind of trap door below him where we could be talking at the end of the year, he could be eight. I have Will Rodgers at three. He is a top three quarterback
1: in this league. He will not be in a top three offense by any means. And I think I'm with you. By the end of the year, his numbers may fall not be a great lot on this list. His numbers may not be great, and Mississippi State's not going to be great by any means. He's still going to be a really good quarterback.
2: I like Will Agreed. Rogers a lot. Agreed, and I think with the regression that he could have and the potential of the guys below him, he could he could fall down this yeah, list pretty I'm, heavily. I'm 100 percent with you.
1: Top two in the SEC because I had Will Rogers at three as well. I'll just go ahead and give him to you. I have Jaden Daniels at two from LSU, and I have Joe Milton as the best quarterback in this conference. Wow. I think his potential is unbelievable. I
2: think his potential is awesome, but he's been a little inconsistent. He has.
1: But I think he will take that step. I think he's got the weapons around him. I think Tennessee is going to let him eat on the offensive side of the football. He's going to be electric. He will be – here's the thing. I think he's sitting in New York for a Heisman ceremony.
2: Okay. Wow. Wow. All right, I've got Jaden Daniels at one because he won the West last year. I think he got better as the season went on. He's got two great tackles to help protect him back there. He showed some athleticism. It's all about staying healthy, and when he does stay healthy, he's a really good player. It was rocky when he first got to Baton Rouge. I think talent's going to be a little bit better around him. They mm-hmm. could. I don't think they've made a status. They've declared a status of John Emery. He could have a John Emery back at running back. I think he's number one. KJ Jefferson is number two, just because I think he is. I don't think he has the ceiling of some of the guys on this list, but I think his floor is so much higher because of his uh, running ability, his phys- the physical run game that he possesses. Uh, and I think pair that with Rocket Sanders. I don't see him just being awful or having a worst case scenario. I don't I don't see him falling any farther down than 4 on this list in my book because I think that that running ability allows him to be very safe. Uh but I I don't think he'll ever be number 1. I don't think he'll ever be I like his best version of this year I think there will be at the end of the year, I don't think he'll be top two. I think right now, I have him at two because he's safe. I think there's guys that will have better years, will be more explosive. But I don't see him falling past four, really. I'm interested to see how these
1: lists and rankings change by the end of the year. Because I have some I have some doozies in there. I'm interested to see because, again, this was coming into 2023. You just never know what's going to happen in college football season as we are 58 days away from Auburn and the SEC getting underway. But we're out of time here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Come back tomorrow, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. We'll wrap it up and get into the weekend. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.